uncharted waters in terms of the Nuts for Bucks podcast. So earlier this week, I kind of gave you guys a little bit of my reaction to the college football playoff, and Nate, I mentioned, was not able to podcast this week. And we are going to pick back up with podcasts together next week. But for now, I kind of wanted to give a little bit of a Nebraska preview as well, doing this Colin Cowherd a little solo style. Um, But nevertheless, I think there's some stuff at least worthy to talk about. I think that there's definitely some angst coming into this game. And I wanted to basically give an overview of Nebraska's season, what has led them down the path that they're on. They're a very interesting three and six opponent. And then at the end, kind of circle back and give a prediction and talk about some of the other relevant games on the college football landscape. So first, I kind of want to talk about how I view Ohio State opponents in general. I think I sort of like to view a tiered system. I think a tier one opponent is kind of like an Alabama or Georgia or, or Clemson over the last few years where Ohio State definitely has to reach their ability in order to win that game. Then the tier twos is the organs of the world where if Ohio State doesn't prepare well, we kind of get run off the field, which is what happened earlier this season. Tier three and tier four, the difference there is I think a tier three team, Ohio State can lose with a few bad breaks for sure. Uh, And then a tier four, almost everything has to go wrong in order for Ohio State to lose that game. And then a tier five is sort of like a Mac opponent where Ohio State just needs to show up and will probably win. So I think an exa- a good example of a tier three opponent may be 2014 Virginia Tech. Uh, not that we had a few bad breaks, but our offensive line just didn't play very well. And we ended up losing that game, even though Virginia Tech was an inferior opponent. And then a tier four team would sort of be, I'm going to say Iowa back, I think the year was 2017, where we came off that amazing Penn State game first play of the game on offense, JT Barrett pick six, and it was just downhill from there. And it was like, you know, one bad play after another and Ohio State just got ran off the field. But that Iowa team was not very good. I think they might have even finished the the season six and six or something like that. So and the question here becomes Nebraska, it's a 14 and a half point spread, but is Nebraska a tier? They're certainly not a tier two team, but are they a tier three team where, you know, it's going to take a few bad breaks and we we can lose because Nebraska is actually a decent team? Or are they a Tier 4 team where everything is going to need to go wrong in this game for us to lose? And the spread is interesting. It's 14.5 points because Ohio State's had some unfortunate luck with these 14-point spread games. Uh, earlier this year, they were a 14.5-point favorite at least one point before the line started shifting against Oregon. And then back in 2014, too, to Virginia Tech, they were also a 14-point favorite. So there's certainly a track record of Ohio State losing these games as a 14.5-point favorite. But looking at Nebraska, this is a team that they've had a lot of hype around them since 2018 when Scott Frost took over. But they actually haven't made a bowl under Scott Frost. 4-8 Four and eight the first year, five and seven in 2019, and then last year they went three and five in the special COVID year where all of their games were in conference. I mean, maybe if they had an out of conference schedule last year, maybe they finished six and six and make a bowl. But either way, we've had pretty good luck with them. That first year they gave us a little bit of a scare in Columbus back in 2018, but that was an Ohio State team that wasn't. Uh, the defense was pretty weak. Uh, we, we won that game by five points, 36-31. But the last two years when Ryan Day has been the full-time coach, 
We destroyed them in Lincoln. If you remember, that game was in prime time. It was one of the earlier conference games. I don't remember exactly what week it was, but it was 48-7 to final. And then last year, we kind of put them in place too, winning 52-17 to in Columbus. And Nebraska this year, they're 3-6. and They're 1-5 and in conference, but they they might actually be the best 3-6 and team in the history of college football. And it's so strange, but looking at their schedule and just what they've accomplished, or I guess what they haven't accomplished, that's the interesting thing. Because Nebraska's just had all of these close losses. They started the year at Illinois. A lot of people watched that game because it was the opening, it was like the week zero of college football. You know, that was the one Big Ten game that sort of started the year and kicked off the season. And they lost to Illinois. They were 10-point favorites on the road. And uh, Brett Bielema's team kind of kind of kicked their their nose in a little bit and then they bounce back and they beat Fordham who's an FCS team and they beat Buffalo the following two weeks then they went into this really monstrous stretch of games uh, where they played Oklahoma Michigan State Michigan uh, Northwestern was sandwiched in there too Minnesota and Purdue they lost five of those six games and obviously, there's some good good teams there. You know, Minnesota, Michi- Michigan, Michigan State, and Oklahoma are all top 10 in the college football playoff right now. And then Minnesota is also a top 25 team, and we know what Purdue is capable of too. But the interesting thing is that they lost by one score in each of those five games. So they, they blew out Northwestern 56-7, to but I'm not going to talk about that Northwestern win. I just want to talk about those five losses, starting with Oklahoma. They lost us. They were at Oklahoma. They lost 16 to 23. So when I'm looking at these games and and looking at the stats in particular, I just want to see, okay, like what exactly happened? You know, is Nebraska a good team? And they actually, you know, dominated the game at the line of scrimmage. They dominated the ball and maybe they just lost because Adrian Martinez threw a few dumb picks or were they actually just like thoroughly outplayed and they needed a few turnovers to stay in the game if if that makes sense you know so just looking at this game at at Oklahoma they did not run the football very well they only had 2.5 yards per carry and believe it or not even though Spencer Rattler was the quarterback at this time Oklahoma did not turn the ball over at, at all so I was thinking okay they're in Norman Oklahoma probably turned the ball over four times and that's the only reason this game was close and and no they they actually like <laughs> outplayed Oklahoma, which is kind of kind of crazy. And in that game, Adrian Martinez threw the ball really well. He went 19 of 25 for 289 yards, 11.6 yards per attempt. And to put that into context, that's that's better than C.J. Stroud's average on the season. So, I'm, But I'm not going to read anything into Nebraska's defense in this game because Oklahoma was a totally different team with Spencer Rattler. However, it's important to note that Oklahoma did have seven points at halftime. So just looking at that game, that's pretty impressive. To, to go into Norman, I know Oklahoma's not the best team, but to limit Oklahoma like that to only seven points at halftime and to, to throw the ball that well, I'm pretty impressed. Next game at Michigan State. Remember, Michigan State required overtime to win this game. And believe it or not, they outplayed Michigan State in the trenches in this game. This was Kenneth Walker's worst game of the season. He only This is the only game this season that Kenneth Walker had less than 3.5 yards per carry. He owned 19, on 19 carries, he had 61 yards. But Michigan State was able to kind of beat them a little bit with the deep passes they had three catches over 30 yards in this game. So, And again, Adrian Martinez sort of played pretty well. Uh, he had 25-36 for 250 yards, uh, 
nine yards per attempt. Uh, and they also dominated time of possession. They, they held the ball for 38 minutes out of, uh, and, and to Michigan State's 22. So they outplayed Michigan State. And those are two games that they walked away with a loss, but they certainly could have won that game, won either of those games. And I'm, I'm sure that listeners of this podcast were watching at least part of the Nebraska-Michigan game. And this is another game that they could have walked away victorious. They had, so just actually going back to the fourth quarter to refresh your memory, they were up 29-26. They scored a touchdown with, I'm trying to see how much time was left, with seven minutes remaining. They were up three points. Michigan drove down the field and kicked a field goal to tie it at 29. And on the next drive, Adrian Martinez fumbled. Michigan kicked another field goal to go up 32-29. And then Nebraska sort of turned it over on downs, and that was the end of the game from there. Michigan won by three. But overall, they played pretty well. Again, Adrian Martinez, besides that fumble, played well, 10.4 yards per attempt. And on third down, they held Michigan. Michigan only converted six of 15 third downs. So fairly impressive there. I don't know if you could say they outplayed Michigan because Michigan did kind of beat them on the ground quite a bit. But I'll say they definitely played them to a standstill, like neutral. So those three games against those three top 10 teams, Ohio State's a top 10 team, Nebraska definitely hung with them. But then I think the narrative kind of switches a little bit when they play against Minnesota. And I think this is when you kind of will see that Nebraska is sort of coming back to their norm, which is not a very good football team. So against Minnesota, they were thoroughly outplayed uh they turned the they had two interceptions so adrian martinez did not throw any interceptions but they did pick off tanner morgan twice but other than that every other stat favored minnesota minnesota threw the ball better minnesota rushed the ball better minnesota had a 21 9 lead at halftime they were also up 30 to 16 late in the fourth quarter before nebraska had a garbage time touchdown so in the story of course in the or in the uh, record book, it's going to say that Nebraska lost by one score at Minnesota. Minnesota's a top 25 team. That's a pretty good loss. Sure, that's fine. You might think that, but all in all, Nebraska was dominated in this game. And then the following game, Purdue at Nebraska. Purdue won 28-23, and this is just the classic Adrian Martinez reverts back to his old ways game. He completed 14 passes to his own team, and he completed four passes to the other team. He threw four interceptions, um, and overall, like they just got dominated. Purdue held the ball for 39 minutes in this game. Nebraska only held the ball for 21 minutes. I guess you can note that they stopped the run decently well. Purdue only had 2.8 yards per attempt on 41 carries. But overall, this was a this was a kind of a Purdue domination, and forcing those turnovers is pretty key. But that's kind of what Purdue does, right? Like they force mistakes. They did the same thing to Spencer Petras in Iowa. So on the season, looking at Nebraska, the three and six record is definitely deceptive. They're better than that, but at the same time, I think this narrative that Nebraska has been so close in these last five losses is a little bit false. And I think against, they definitely should have lost the Minnesota game. They definitely should have lost the Purdue game. Maybe they should have walked away with one win against Michigan State, Oklahoma, or Michigan. But at the end of the day, also, that's kind of what separates good teams from great teams, or in this case, what separates average teams from good teams. You know, I think average teams just don't close out those games against great teams, and Nebraska was not able to close out those games. But looking at their, them on the season, so just how they are in terms of metrics, 
They're ranked 29th in FPI and 24th in the SP+. What are those measures if you've never heard of them before? I reference them quite a bit on this podcast. It's essentially, it factors in, it's a predictive measure, so it doesn't really look at your resume. It more so looks at the players on your team, your returning starters coming into the season, the you know number of stars, four, five, and three-star prospects on your team. And that's important because at the end of the day, stars matter. The reason why Georgia is playing so well and dominating, they have 19 five-stars on their team, right? So that, that certainly makes a difference at the end of the day. So Nebraska is 24th and 29th, so they're better. I mean, they're, they're, to have a 3-6 and six team that's ranked in the mid-20s, that's, that's pretty good. And then if you look at team efficiency, they're 43rd in the country on offense, 29th on defense. This was kind of glaring here 124th on special teams i i don't i think there's 128 fbs teams maybe 130 so they're one of the worst teams in the country on special teams which means that you know don't be surprised if they muff a punt or if ohio state runs a kickback or something like that which i think could make an upset even that much more difficult for nebraska and Adrian Martinez, this narrative, the narrative has been, this is a guy, I feel like he's been in Nebraska for literally 15 years. Nate and I make that joke all the time saying this guy's been around forever. I think it feels that way because they used to have Taylor Martinez, who was also a very mediocre quarterback, <laughs> and now they have Adrian Martinez. But I think Adrian Martinez is legitimately a fifth-year senior. His He was playing pretty well. Uh, after that Illinois loss, if, if you take their stretch of their season from the Fordham game up until that Michigan loss, his QBR was above 77 in all of those games. But again, he's reverted back to who he's been his entire career the last two games. He had a 44 QBR against Minnesota, and he had a 14 QBR against Purdue. And looking at them offensively, do they have any weapons? Not really. Their leading receiver is Samore Torrey. It sounds like a soccer name. I've never seen this guy. I haven't watched many Nebraska games, full disclosure here, but he's only had six catches in his last three games, so he's certainly not a guy as dynamic as David Bell, for example, or or Jahan, Jahan Dotson, who we saw last week. So I don't know. I'm not too scared of him. And then Austin Allen, their tight end, is pretty decent. He's had a couple games this season with over 100 yards. And I think that they're he's probably going to be a huge focal point of Nebraska's game plan just because with Steel Chambers being out for the first half because of the targeting penalty, I think that Scott Frost might want to get Austin Allen involved early and often as Chambers is probably the person who's most well-equipped to cover a dynamic tight end like that. But looking at the recipes for an upset, can they slow down Ohio State's passing attack? I just don't see it. They're ranked 42nd in pass defense. And when I think, okay, can a team slow down Ohio State in terms of slowing down Ohio State's offense, I think the first way to do that is to make C.J. Stroud uncomfortable in the pocket. And Nebraska on the season, just 15 sacks in nine games. And they don't have a dynamic Batman pass rusher. They don't have a guy like George Karloftis like Purdue. I feel like... You know, a lot of this is a lot. Next week, we're going to be previewing Purdue, and I think Nate and I are going to be a lot more scared for that game because Purdue does have the dynamic offensive playmaker in David Bell, which Nebraska just doesn't have. They do have that dynamic Batman pass rusher in George Karloftis, which Nebraska just doesn't have. And then in this game, weather is not going to really be an issue either. 65 degrees, uh, sunny, wind is less than 10 miles an hour. So I don't think there's going to be any rain to complicate things for C.J. Stroud and the passing offense. But I think the one thing that Nebraska might have success with is stopping the run. As I mentioned before, they've limited Kenneth Walker 
more than anyone else has the entire season. They also stopped Purdue to 2.8 yards per attempt on 41 carries. But as we saw last week with Penn State, they it only takes Travion Henderson one run to sort of break open, and then that sort of lets the floodgates open. So I think Ohio State's going to have to be patient with their running game, but it's going to be such a focal point of practice this week for Ryan Day after how poorly they ran the ball in general. You know, I know Travion Henderson broke that one run, but in general, they didn't run the ball well against Penn State. And in general, the offensive line was not very disciplined. They had, what, nine false start penalties, and they didn't exactly protect C.J. Stroud as much as they could. So because the offensive line is going to be such a fundamental part of Ryan Day's practice and his prep this week, I think that's going to make a, uh, an upset for Nebraska that much more unlikely. And then if you think about it, the other perspective, okay, can Adrian Martinez, can he lead the Cornhuskers to an upset? Because you're going to have to score at least 30 points against Ohio State to have a chance at pulling the upset. We saw that with Oregon, you know. <clears throat> and looking at Nebraska, I don't think that Adrian Martinez, I think his confidence is shot, quite honestly. I think that after he played so well against Michigan in that losing effort, if you think about it, he fumbled that that play in the fourth quarter, and then the next possession he turned it over on downs, and then since then he put up a 44 QBR against Minnesota, and he put up a 14 QBR with four interceptions against Purdue. So he's just back to his old ways, and I think to a certain degree Ohio State has Adrian Martinez's number. So I, I expect Ohio State's defensive game plan to be very conservative, which may be frustrating for us to watch. I think we're going to want to see them go up there and force, uh, you know, force them into uncomfortable positions. But I think the smarter thing to do is stand. We saw this on I don't know if you watch Monday Night Football with the Giants and the Chiefs, but the Chiefs were a very, have been a very tur- turnover prone team all season long. Patrick Mahomes, I think he's leading the NFL in interceptions right now. And what did the Giants do? They just sat back. They didn't get beat over the top, and eventually. The Chiefs made mistakes. Patrick Mahomes threw a couple interceptions. Uh, Travis Kelsey fumbled. And I think that's what Ohio State's going to try to do against Nebraska because Nebraska and Adrian Martinez is so turnover prone. I think they're going to say that, Scott Frost, if you want to to beat us, you're going to have to put together these 13-play 85-yard drives. And I don't think Nebraska is going to be able to do it. I think that's a good game plan. But the last thing you want to do is start to be overly aggressive with the blitz, and then they start breaking these 70-yard plays because that's what we saw against Oregon, and that was where this defense became vulnerable. And we've seen that this defense become much more conservative lately, and it's paid off against against Penn State. It it paid off. I, I think the defense played pretty well against Penn State. And they sort of made Sean Clifford nickel and dime. They didn't give him any big plays over the top, and and it ended up working out. And they let their front four pass rushers sort of go home for a bit, and then they dropped seven in coverage. So I think that's going to be their game plan defensively. After doing all this research, I feel a little bit better about the game than I did before. I was kind of nervous. Uh, Anytime I see that 14.5 point spread, I I sort of get, uh, you know, tickling down the back of my spine, but I feel better. And I think that because Ohio State did not exceed expectations last week against Penn State, and because the college football playoff committee rankings came out and said that, okay, Ohio State, we're going to put you lower than the AP poll, I think that's going to sort of help Ohio State's narrative as well. I think Ryan Day is going to be able to have his guys focused and be able to play better. And I think if we are going to get upset at some point in the season, 
I really do have that Purdue game circled, and I'm actually going back to Columbus for the first time since 2015 uh, to watch a home game, so I'm really excited to be attending that game in person, and the, the last time I uh, saw an Ohio State game in person was that loss to Michigan State at home, so boy, that would be really unfortunate if uh, I see two straight home losses at, in in the Ohio Stadium, but um, I'm not going to get too ahead of myself there, but I think that overall, like, if we come out and we crush Nebraska, which is in all likelihood what I think is going to happen, I think we're more susceptible for an upset next week against Purdue because it's just a massive trap game. I think we could be looking all fat and happy coming off of the Cornhuskers, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're looking ahead to Michigan State, and oh my gosh, there's Purdue, and there's David Bell, and there's George Karloff. It's just wreaking havoc. So I'm not super worried about Nebraska. It's also a noon kick, which I think sort of helps things because I think that if it's a primetime game, Maybe, uh, you know, maybe their crowd is going to be a little bit more into the game and maybe they're going to be a little bit dead with a noon kickoff. But who really knows? Uh, I'm going to my prediction for this game is Ohio State 45, Nebraska 21. Again, I do think Nebraska is going to get a few touchdowns just because of the way we're going to play defense. But I think that Ryan Day is going to take a very pragmatic approach to this game on defense and then offensively. I think we're going to try to run the ball, but we're also going to also going to hit him over the top of those deep passes as much as we can. And um, I, I like the over. I guess yeah. I actually that's interesting. I predicted forty five twenty one, and the over under is exactly sixty six. So I guess I'm picking it right on the right on the nose. And, and looking at the other games around the college football landscape, I'll just touch on them real quick. What are some of the games that we need to uh, root for for an Ohio State perspective? And I guess you could use this as your your guide for Saturday as you watch the game. So looking at the 12 o'clock games, Illinois at Minnesota. We need Minnesota to win to continue to rise up the ranks just in case they make it to the Big Ten championship game. All of a sudden, our resume looks a lot better if Minnesota is a top 10 team. I mean, I don't think they're going to be a top 10 team, but it looks better if they're a top 15 team versus a top 25 team. Liberty at Ole Miss. Uh, we really, it would be great to see Liberty be Ole Miss. I think that would really hurt Alabama's resume because right now Alabama's best win is that blowout win against Ole Miss. So if Ole Miss is losing to a group of five team, now all of a sudden Alabama's wins are worse and Alabama is less likely to get into the playoff with two losses. Michigan State, we need them to beat Purdue. This game is at 3.30. I guess you can go either way with this because I think if Purdue does beat Michigan State, and keep in mind, this game is basically a coin flip. Purdue is only a three-point underdog. If Purdue beats Michigan State, I think that they probably come into next week more sluggish and are less likely to beat Ohio State. But at the same time, I, I think we need Michigan State to win to sort of hype up that clash with Michigan State at the end of the year. And also, don't sleep on the fact that it may come down to a playoff spot maybe riding on a two-loss Alabama versus a one-loss Michigan State. Who knows? That might be a conversation for who gets the fourth spot. So, if of course, Michigan State one loss being to Ohio State in that narrative, both uh, Michigan State and Alabama not winning their conference championship. So we would, we need Michigan State to, to stay alive to, to keep out Alabama potentially. Tulsa and Cincinnati. Uh, I don't think this one matters too much, but keep in mind, we did play Tulsa earlier in the year. If we have a better margin of victory over Tulsa and Indiana than Cincinnati, I think that sort of makes our case against Cincinnati a little bit more decisive. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. I think we need some, we need the big 12 teams to start losing here. 
That way, if Oklahoma is undefeated, uh, I think that they will get left out without any key resume wins. But if the Big 12 teams like Oklahoma State and Baylor start winning and rise to the top, now all of a sudden Oklahoma's resume could potentially be better. And then who knows, maybe even Oklahoma could jump us in the ranking. Wisconsin at Rutgers. Same thing here as Minnesota. I think we need Wisconsin to win. So that way, if Wisconsin does make the Big Ten Championship, it just makes our resume look better if we beat them. Penn State at Maryland. We need Penn State in the top 25 to help our resume for seeding purposes. So we need Penn State to beat Maryland there. Auburn at Texas A&M. I think this one's kind of a toss-up. I guess I'm I'm rooting for Texas A&M. No, I'm rooting for Auburn because I don't want... Yeah, I don't want Alabama's resume to, to I want Alabama's resume to look as poor as possible. And if all of a sudden, you know, Alabama's best two games are a uh, are a loss to Texas A&M and a win to Ole Miss, if both of those teams lose at home this weekend, I think then all of a sudden you got to drop Alabama from that two spot because their resume doesn't look so great. Almost done. Baylor at TCU, same thing as OK State. I think we need uh, TCU to beat Baylor here. We just need the Big 12 to start eating itself, and that way Baylor drops down the rankings. Mississippi State at Arkansas. Mississippi State being ranked 17th is such a joke if they lose here. I think that sort of helps. uh, That helps the SEC is the best conference narrative kind of fade away a little bit. Iowa at Northwestern. We need Iowa to stop falling apart in order to help the rest of the Big 10. LSU at Alabama, I wouldn't hold your breath on this one. I don't think LSU is going to win in Tuscaloosa as a 28.5-point favorite. But if they keep it close, at least, then maybe people will question how good Alabama is. And Tennessee at Kentucky, again, we need the SEC to be exposed. We need these unranked SEC teams to keep beating these ranked teams. So hopefully Tennessee can beat Kentucky. And last but not least, Oregon at Washington Oregon losing would be huge. It would move Ohio State up a point in the ranking, and then there won't be any more discussion about head-to-head mattering as Oregon would have a second loss. And I think this one's totally possible. In fact, I think Washington will win because they are in a a six-and-a-half-point underdog. So I went 25 minutes on this. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this brief podcast. Again, went Colin Cowherd solo style with the Nebraska preview. Next week, Nate and I will be back. We will be recapping Nebraska as well as previewing Purdue. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast.